Most of us now carry everywhere a device which enables us to take a picture anywhere and any time. A whole world to photograph as we please. But when our phone comes out of our pocket, what does the human race most take a picture of? It's very telling that people mostly take photos of themselves. Even though the camera points away from us, we choose to turn it around on selfie mode. Everything today is to be viewed in reference to yourself. Life is about discovering yourself, indulging yourself, expressing yourself, being yourself. Well, this drastic inward turn is no new thing. There in verse 8, we read, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Darkness and light. This is creation language, appropriately enough, given this book of Ephesians is all about God's new creation purposes. To think creation is to think foundations. What's being discussed in these verses is of foundational importance. Light and darkness. We're in the territory of stark contrasts. You're either one or the other. There is no cozy coexistence of the two. The one always drives out the other. Verse 14, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In the way that we awake from our sleep into a new day, God's purpose is to raise us from death into a new life. One now lived in reference to him. We may not think of ourselves needing raising from the dead, but such is the contrast between darkness and light, between the old creation and new, that this is exactly what is needed and what is gifted to us in Christ. Look there at verse 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed. Now, it's all too easy to accuse another of any or all of these charges, whilst attempting to excuse ourselves. But there can be no finger pointing here, as if these charges somehow apply more to some than to others. You see, we're still in creation territory, and we've been here before. You may recall that downward spiral into sensuality and greed there in the middle of chapter 4. What we have here in verse 3 is no list Rather, it's the diagnosis 
of the default functioning of the fallen human heart. Put more simply, think Eve in Eden. This piece of forbidden fruit in her hand. She had come to to view it as good for food and pleasing to the eye. So Eve bites down on this grenade. The first stirrings of greed led Eve to devour. Since then, as a human race, we've continued to expand our horizons, becoming ever more adventurous in the things we've identified as good to taste and pleasing to the eye. After all, with just so much that this world offers to our senses, why not simply consume the greed that first found expression there in Eden has proved the wellspring of every kind of impurity and sexual immorality down the generations since. This isn't what is going on out there in someone else's life. This is what is at work in the heart of each and every one of us when crippled by that drastic inward turn. Indulge yourself. Express yourself. Be yourself. So long as what you're doing is good and pleasing in your own eyes, let no one speak against you. In fact, shut out every negative voice. I'm sure we've all felt the appeal of the world's messaging. Given that all flows from the same wellspring, it isn't telling us anything we haven't already told ourselves. And it's only as we attempt to go against the dominant messaging that we begin to sense just how harmful it is. Verse 7 Do not be partners with them. We're in partnership month here at All Souls. A remarkable alternative partnership is possible for us, commanded of us here in Ephesians. What would it mean for us to partner together in such a way that, verse 3, There really was not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed among us. Remember, greed is viewing all things in service of your own gratification. What may begin with devouring a piece of fruit moves on to devouring even a person. We need take very few steps to have crossed the line into sexual immorality. How so? The proper place 
for sexual intimacy is always and only within holy matrimony. Any other sexual activity is, verse 3, improper for God's holy people. Holy matrimony is itself, in its nature, the permanent lifelong union of one man with one woman. Next Sunday, we'll look closely at what marriage is. But today, from that very definition, you can see that what is here termed sexual immorality isn't referring to a narrow set of behaviors. The field is vast. We've all been playing on it in one way or another. But no more is the challenge to us here. This week, the Church of England has brought to a close its living in love and faith discernment process on whether it would be proper for the church to conduct same-sex marriages or at least bless same-sex relationships. On Friday, our bishops released a pastoral letter. Whilst they will not alter the Church of England's celebration of holy matrimony because they have not found sufficient consensus to propose a change in the doctrine at the present time, they have, however, drafted what are called prayers of love and faith, offered as flexible ways to affirm and celebrate same-sex couples in church. The choice is between prayers of dedication, thanksgiving, and of God's blessing. The campaign for equal marriage in the Church of England, who are coming at this from a completely different direction to me, on Thursday published what I think is a perceptive response to the bishop's announcement. They wrote, It seems that instead of the new inclusion we had been promised, we are to be cautiously offered no more than a few stale crumbs. Those in the church who are cautious can make do with the prayers of dedication. Those who are bolder can move on to prayers of God's blessing. Still, stale crumbs. Timidity runs all the way through this. The bishop's pastoral letter states, the prayers do not explicitly refer to sexual intimacy. Why? Well, these verses from Ephesians chapter 5 surely shed light on a dilemma acutely felt. How can you bless as holy a lifestyle which, verse 3, is explicitly stated as being improper for God's holy people. The bishop's efforts are intended to help welcome same-sex couples unreservedly and joyfully. Sadly, the proposal seems to 
ring-fenced a single group, viewed as a problem needing special measures. So far from offering radical inclusion, has simply reinforced discrimination. I can't say this clearly enough. If you are a same-sex attracted person here this morning, who isn't already a full part of this church family, you are not a problem requiring special measures to include you in the life of the church. We are all welcomed in on the very same footing. That's set out for us here in Ephesians. You'll never find a welcome that is more radically inclusive than this. All of us partnering together, mutually committed to ensuring that there is not even a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among us. Imagine a life that isn't all about acquiring and consuming. The witness of such a church would be a bright light indeed, especially, especially in a world that deifies sex and dehumanizes those who forego sexual fulfillment. That observation returns us to the flow of the argument in these verses. Look there at verse 5. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What we're unpacking here isn't a behavior issue. It's much more foundational than that. It's a worship issue. Greed is the fruit of idolatry. The good things all around us in creation, those that are pleasing to the eye, the moment we start to think we must have them, the moment we think our fulfillment and satisfaction is tied up with having them, do you see what's happening? We begin to warp the good things in our lives into God things. We abuse them. It starts with you eating that piece of tasty fruit enjoying it for what it is, but you could live without it. It moves on to you craving the taste of that fruit, starting to enjoy it for what it isn't, until you tell yourself you can't live without it. That's the problem there in verse 5. Immorality, impurity, or greed having gained an unassailable hold. It's not now simply that you can't stop indulging yourself in certain ways. It's that you won't stop yourself, even if you could. You like it the way it is. It's who I am, you say. You celebrate it. 
And if this is any of us, make no mistake, we're still darkness. What's to be done? Well, because this is a worship issue, it needs a worship cure. Wrong worship only ever ends when right worship begins. It's helpful to see the two bookends to this passage. The first is there at the end of verse 4. Thanksgiving. The second is there in verse 20. Giving thanks. The antidote to our greed is gratitude. The wellspring of greed which brings about that inward turn by which we live self-absorbed lives of insatiable consumption. That's only ever going to be stopped if a wellspring of gratitude is opened up. It's the good news of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ that does that deep work. We are to be always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. As we start to do that, we start to recognize that in this God, we really do have everything. Recall the riches listed for us in Ephesians chapter 1. If we are in Christ, we are chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, included, sealed, all of this, the gift of God. Our right response to this gift is gratitude. Even if we've only just begun to appreciate it, we'll recognize that in Christ we have all the fulfillment and satisfaction we could hope for. No need to go on abusing created things, seeking satisfaction there. Those pursuits will begin to leave a bitter aftertaste, having now tasted something purer. But this new wellspring takes some excavating. If gratitude is truly to pour forth, what gets it flowing? Verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord. That which in ourselves we are slow to say and feel, good songs help us to say and feel. Songs which celebrate the good news of God's grace to us in Jesus, as we've been singing together this morning. How then is our gratitude properly expressed? We're back to that darkness and light contrast. Formerly, like Eve, we were primarily concerned with what pleases ourselves. 
the things we found pleasing to our eyes and considered good to our taste. Now, it couldn't be more different. We will be primarily concerned with verse 10, finding out what pleases the Lord. Few of us like to be called disobedient. Still fewer want to be called to obedience. But in this arena, who it is who does the calling makes all the difference. If you are a child, dearly loved by your parents, when they call you to obey, you may groan at first, but you know they have your very best interests at heart. Your parent is not trying to deprive you of some good. And because they have proven themselves trustworthy in the past, you can trust them in the present. You choose to please them by obeying. Eve's problem was a devil-inspired belief that the Lord God was indeed depriving her of some good. And all of us have lived in the dark under that same spell. We need not. As the light of Christ shines upon us, our fears are put to rest. As his dearly loved children, the Father really does have our best interests at heart. It's as we stand willing to give up everything, even that which we have held sacred, our particular immorality and greed, we discover that we really do still have everything in him. So, to draw to a close, verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. God's wisdom will always sound like foolishness to the world. That's how we know that it truly is God's wisdom and not just some continuation or projection of our own. Some of the more shocking and saddening selfies that have made their way onto social media. Have you seen them? There are people narrowly balanced on some precipice or, or leaning out over a sheer drop. Their smiling photo taken only moments before they plummeted to their death. It's easy with hindsight, to say that such self-absorption wasn't wise, that we could avoid finding ourselves standing on a precipice in danger of a deadly plummet. Well, here in Ephesians, we're being forearmed to live truly wise lives, that none of us need plummet to our own destruction. 
Thanks be to God. Amen.